Welcome to Dune in 10, our look into the books of Dune in roughly 10 minutes. In this installment, we'll be covering the Battle of Corinne, the third and final installment in the Legends of Dune series. Taking place roughly 56 years later, we join up with our new cast of characters, with Vorian Atreides and Ishmael being the only main characters still living from the previous installments. Due to his actions at the end of the Machine Crusade, Xavier Harkonnen was branded as a traitor for killing Iblis Jingo. As a result, Xavier's family has forsaken the name Harkonnen and now goes by Xavier's wife's maiden name, Butler. Xavier's line is represented in the story by his son-in-law, Quinton, and Quinton's sons, Fakin, Rikov, and Abelard. All four men serve in the Jihad, with Quinton being a high-ranking officer and friend of Vorian. Fakin and Rikov both share a close bond with their father, while Abelard is more strange and looks at Vorian as a father figure. Taking Abelard under his wing, Vorian shares with him the truth behind Xavier's sacrifice, and Abelard vows to redeem the name Harkonnen, taking the old family name back as his own. The Jihad has been waging for nearly a hundred years, and Omnius is eager to bring it to an end. With the help of Rekor Van, a traitorous Tulaxa slaver, Erasmus develops a plague to reduce the human population by 50%. The Omnius Scourge is extremely effective, killing or crippling its projected amount. Rikov Butler is one of the many to fall to the Scourge. Realizing the fact that Omnius would not do this without having a plan to take advantage of it, Vorian pushes for humanity to check on Omnius and prepare for the worst. Quinton and Fagin take jump ships to Corinne and discover Omnius has his entire fleet preparing for an attack on Seleucus. Jumping back to heed the warning and they give Vorian the fuel he needs to bring what remains of humanity's forces together for one final, final strike on Omnius. While all the machines are gathered at Corinne to launch their full-scale attack, the rest of the machine worlds are virtually undefended. Omnius would never expect a retaliatory attack from humanity in their current state, and is not aware that they know of his plans. Seizing the opportunity, Vorian and Quinton launch a huge attack on the other machine worlds. Realizing they are doomed if they don't do anything, and that there is no hope to rescue humans on the machine worlds, they begin systematically sterilizing the world with atomic bombs, just like they had done to Earth. The plan is extremely successful, but the Corin Omnius is warned about the oncoming attack and recalls his fleet. Vorian and Quinton arrive at Corin just as the machine fleet is trickling in, but instead of launching their attack outright, realizing that this would be suicide, they wait for the machine fleet to return in full. Jumping on the moment, they deploy satellites around Corin that project Holtzman scrambler shields around the entire planet and machine fleet, successfully trapping the remaining machines on Corin. Vorian does not see this as an absolute victory, but he does realize that both forces are at a stalemate. Humanity lacks the ability to destroy the machines, and the machines cannot escape their prison. However, the human government declares a victory, and the jihad is officially over. It is at this point the book takes a 20-year leap, but before we also cross the bridge there, there are other storylines that begin building in the first half of the book. After his wife dies and coming to terms with his estranged relationship with his own son, Vorian seeks out his newly discovered granddaughter from one of his relationships at the beginning of the Jihad. Voria finds Rikella working as a doctor with her partner, Mohandas Sook, to counteract the Scourge. Rikella and Mohandas work tirelessly to find a cure with their only major discovery being that the spice slows down and can help to protect against it. This discovery has a trickle-down effect on some of our other characters. Norma Senva is hard at work to perfect her jump ship navigation problems when Venki Enterprises loses its monopoly on spice distribution due to the fact that the government deems it a necessity and therefore an open resource. During the ensuing spice rush, Norma begins ingesting more and more of spice, pushing her body to new limits. 
the newfound rush of spice begins to affect Ishmael and his people on Arrakis. His tribe, now under the leadership of his adopted son, Elhim, have started to become too dependent on the resources gained from trading spice. Ishmael becomes aggravated as he watches his people forget the old ways, but remains reluctantly supportive of Elhim out of family obligation. Three other things happen during this time. First, Rikov's daughter, Reina, is stricken by the scourge, but miraculously survives. She comes through thinking she has seen a vision from Serena that all machines are evil and must be destroyed. As soon as her recovery lets her, she seeks out any machine she can and smashes it. The people being so weakened by the scourge grab on her cause, blaming all machines for their troubles. Her eccentric group of followers are then called the Cult of Serena. Secondly, Istin Goss becomes a swordmaster mercenary of Ginez and is said to carry the spirit of Jul Naret. Istin goes out with the Jihad to fight many battles. And thirdly, the Simak Rebellion, being challenged by Omnius, decides to change things up and move their base to a new hidden location. They move to the Cockatoor's planet of Hesra and kill the Cockatoor's there while turning their caretakers into Simak slaves. And now we'll take the 20-year leap in the storyline. Humanity has grown complacent, thinking themselves safe while the machines are trapped on Corin. Looking for new ways to strike at humanity, Amia sends out simple machines that are able to pass through the Holtzman shields to several human worlds. These machines land and send out swarms of razor balls that devour everything they encounter. Vorian and Abelard are able to devise a plan to stop the razor balls and pass the information to other planets that might be attacked. Even after this attack, the government is slow to take a machine threat as an urgent matter. Shortly thereafter, Quentin is on a humanitarian mission with Lord Blood when he discovers one of the new Cymac bases. Quentin is captured and presumed dead while Blood escapes to tell others that the Cymacs are on the move. Agnemnon, seeing a large opportunity in Quentin, converts him into a Cymac and attempts to brainwash him into joining them. He is mostly unsuccessful, but he is able to trick him into revealing many secrets, one of which is that lasers, when they hit a Holtzman shield, cause an atomic-like explosion. Luckily, Quentin is able to send off a message to warn the humans that the Cymax have this knowledge. Seeing that even now the government will not move to destroy their enemies, Foyan resigns his commission. He claims to be retiring, but actually flies to the Cymax base. While there, he pretends to be switching sides and alerts Quentin to his plans. With some good timing, Quentin and Vorian are able to kill the last three remaining Cymac Titans, and as a result, all Cymacs are destroyed due to a kill switch Agnemnon had installed in them. Vorian returns to humanity to share his victory and uses the growing power and steam of the Cult of Serena to push for an all-out attack on Omnius. On Corinne, Omnius seems to be breaking down while three incarnations of himself fight for dominance. In response to the large attack fleet approaching, Omnius puts all the humans on Corinne into ships surrounding the planet and sets them to blow if humanity crosses the line. However, when Erasmus learns that his mentat Gilbertus is on one of the ships, he disables the explosive trigger. Vorian pushes the fleet forward, deciding that the loss of the humans on the ships is worth destroying Amnius. Abelur disagrees and sabotages the fleet in an effort to get Vorian to stop and think of other options. Abelur is arrested for treason. Since the trigger was deactivated, Vorian moves in without destroying the ships full of humans, and Omnius is destroyed. In the mix of things, though, Gilbertus escapes with the programming of Erasmus, blending in with humanity in the aftermath of the battle. Abelard is charged with cowardice and exiled. Over time, the tale of how the Atreides caused the family to be exiled is twisted and grows into a long-lasting rift between the families. Wrapping up the other storylines, Norma Senva saturates her body so much that she mutates and gains the ability to see slightly into the future, thus allowing her to plan safe paths for her jump ships. 
She plans to convert others to make more navigators for her ships. Istin Goss takes up the mantle of teaching future swordmasters after the loss of the training mech Chirax. On Rasek, a new mutated strand of the Scourge appears, and Mohandas, Sook, and Rakella go to aid the people. While there, Rakella contracts the Scourge and assumes her death is near. However, she is saved by a secret pool of special mineral waters. Her body is changed by the experience, and she finds herself able to recall all the memories of all the women in her genetic past. She is also able to use her biology to make a cure for the Scourge. Mohandas goes on to start a special school for doctors, and Rakela remains on Rossak to start the Bene Gesserit, and guide the breeding of humanity. On Arrakis, Ishmael and Ilham battle for leadership of their tribe, and Ishmael loses. However, he takes a small group of his followers out to live in the deep desert, to be true free men. And that brings us to the end of the Battle of Corin. That was a hard one. Make sure to check out our main episode for the Battle of Corinne, where we discuss our many thoughts in the book, as well as your comments. You can also send your feedback to the podcast via email at dunesagapodcast at gmail.com, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash dunesagapodcast, or by calling them into our voicemail at 188-508-4343. So once again, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I'm David Moulton, and may Shai Halud clear the path before you.